Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Rocky Russell as he teaches from the Word of God. This is the first time I've ever had one of these on. I know that's crazy, but I'm concerned it won't work. Am I breathing too hard? <laughs> All right, I got an idea. Can you use a can you use a handheld? I love the handheld. Let's take that thing off. Oh, I, I have to All take right, it don't take it off. Just cut it off. <laughs> I had to almost get naked to put it on. <laughs> Well, he inter- Pastor Henry introduced me for years. I was on the radio, and I am very much used to having control of where the microphone is all the time, so this will work just perfect. That's a distraction. Let's get to the Word. Amen? Amen. It's so good to be here at River of Life, and it really is a joy uh, to be here. Yes, in the dome. And uh, if the day ever comes that you get a chance to climb up in those rafters up there, you'll see our names signed next to our favorite scriptures as we put the last of the finishing touches on this building. Uh, A lot of sweat equity went into this uh, facility, and uh, it's always a joy to see how much ministry is coming out of here. And I hope that by the end of uh, this message today that you will have a sense of of fruit that is uh, being bared out into the world uh, that you don't get to see all the time, and it's through my life. Because in those six years, I wasn't just an employee of River of Life. I was a student, a mentee. Uh, I was uh, in training here. And uh, the staff here put up with a lot uh, (laughs) in that period of time to help raise me up and ultimately release my family into uh, other ministries out in the world. But we are so glad to be here at River of Life. I want to begin today. um, Well, let me do one more thing. I always uh, fall short when it comes to introducing my family. I know Pastor Henry did that already, but my wife and three children are with us today, and I'm not going to make them all stand up, but I'm just so blessed. Uh, Cindy grew here in the Lord with me as well, and uh, I just want to point her out because she's gorgeous, and, um, <clears throat> and she's my all in all. She's, she's good. She also encourages me, and if I do something dumb during the sermon, she'll let me know. You don't, wait a minute. <laughs> it hurts when you applause that much. After <laughs> I'll get it, I'll get it later, but, uh, but she keeps me straight. I want to begin with the end in today's sermon. I want to let the cats out of the bag, so to speak, or just one cat, cat out of the bag. We're going to let the cat out of the bag because today... At the end of this sermon, you are going to hear what I feel like is a powerful first-person narration from Job. And it's a paraphrase of sorts. I didn't write it, but I have adopted it to bring to you today. And I believe that the message of Job will speak to us in a way that uh, is new and fresh. And I knew that by just mentioning the name Job, that that would stir something in those who know anything about the Old Testament, who've ever read the book of Job, the the first thing that may come to your mind is suffering or sitting in the ashes uh, or the response of God to Job's uh, troubles and his trials. 
So I want to go ahead and and front load this message and let you know that we will end with the story of Job today, but we will not begin there. My job as the executive director of Mid-Atlantic Teen Challenge is to help people in the midst of their sifting. Sifting is what happens to us as God refines us and takes us to new levels in Him. Sifting, if you ask any uh, Christian who has any years of following the Lord, you will find out that as you grow older, your fear of the devil's sifting kind of pales in comparison to your fear of the Lord's sifting. It is true, and Jesus, we will go through this scripture a little bit later, uh, that the devil wants to sift us, but God puts us through seasons where he is overseeing the sifting that is going on in our lives. And sometimes we point at that, and it may indeed be suffering, but it may just be those moments where we see God's plan a little bit differently. And I'm aware of that. I'm aware that in this room today, and I hope you will be aware with me, that we're not all going through the same set of circumstances this morning. If there are 400 people in this auditorium today, there are 400 different souls experiencing God in fresh and different ways, some closer, some further, some, some further along on their journey than others. But all of us have experienced some level of sifting, and you may be in the midst of it even now. And I don't want to be indifferent to your pain this morning, but I need to let you know at the beginning we will be exploring the topic of suffering. And so if you're in the midst of pain right now, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask all the saints that are in here today to join me as we pray that we hear with clarity the voice of the Lord through this message today. Amen? So let's all pray together. Father, we come to you today understanding you have a word to give us, and we desire that word. Not what I can put out here from behind this pulpit. Work through me. Use me as your secretary to write your words on the hearts of your people. But there's a word we need. And it may be coming at what seems like an inopportune time for someone in this room today. Father, we pray for the grace and and, and a balm to just cover that today. That we may hear the word of the Lord and know that you have brought this for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in my job, people come to me in the midst of their sifting. We serve adolescent boys age 12 to 17 in a residential facility. That means that when parents call, they know that they're about to drop off their boy for the next year so that he can get Christian discipleship and ultimately healing and recovery from drug and alcohol addiction or any other life-controlling problem that he may have. It's always difficult, and sometimes the phone rings 20 times a day, and we have the same conversation over and over and over again. And what I've realized, and the reason I feel like I should bring you this message today is because that is what is leaking out of me in ministry. It's, uh, it's why I'm a little bit of an emotional wreck every day. Because I'm dealing with these folks and and depending on God for His Holy Spirit to reach through those conversations and touch people. Everybody that calls is in crisis. Everybody that calls is at the end of their rope. 
And I hear something over and over and over and over again. And I sense that it is something that's not just in the lives of these parents, but it's something that's going on in the church world. People will say, I did everything I was told. The school system told me that because he had cut up in school, we had to go do X, Y, Z, so we did X, Y, Z. They told us to call this person, and we called that person, and they came and they did some things. Well, then it escalated. It got a little bit out of control, so the law got involved. We went to the court system. The court system said, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and so we did X, Y, and Z. And on and on and on and on until finally we realized there was nothing left for us to do. And it's in those moments that I hear absolute desperation in someone's voice. And I have to say, it's going to be okay. You're actually at the beginning of the best chapter of your parenting right now. You've made the right decision by reaching out to God's people for help. You are at the turning point for your life with your child, your sifting days may be coming to their end because victory is near. And even though the next 12 months is going to be very messy, we're going to get somewhere with this. We're going to seek God and God is going to come through for you. And one way or the other, God is going to get involved in your situation. And all those things that the world was telling you to do, you will begin to see that they pale in comparison to what God can do. God's about to get involved in your situation. And then I say something that I've said so many times that I have to, I, I actually pray about this as I am saying it to the parents. Usually a mother on the other end of the line. I've said it so many times that I, I pray to maintain my sincerity as I say it. But I mean it every time I say it. These five little words, if it's a mom, I'll say, you are a good mother. And they almost always break down and cry. Because nobody has told them that, that reaching out for help is the right thing to do. No one has come along and said, just reach out and touch for another, just a, just a piece of God's love. We're here because we're in the midst of a crisis and you're telling me that I'm doing a good job? You're doing a good job. And I want to encourage you today, if you're in the midst of crisis as you reach out to touch the face of the Lord, as you reach out for more of His power, as you reach out for His glory, the Lord says, this is the right thing. Reach out for more of me. In the midst of the darkest night, reach out for more of me. Don't give up, because I'll never give up. During the Last Supper, Jesus said this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. It's interesting that there's a presumption there that our Lord makes. He presumes that you'll come back. He says, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Over the next 12 hours, Peter's world was rocked. 
He did deny Jesus three times. He went from the leader of the pack and the chosen one to disgrace and confusion in an instant. That's Peter. God used that experience to prepare him for the building of the church and to use him in the building of the church. God needed a more fully surrendered disciple. How powerful. Are you telling me that, uh, that if I'm doing everything at the best of my abilities, if I'm doing everything I've been told, that I won't just progressively earn my way and, and make myself into a better person and somehow? No. Because at some point, the Lord's going to need to shake you. He's going to need to see, and He's going to need to test, and He's going to need to try and refine in such a way that He can know of the character of your life. God had some character work to finish in Peter. He needed a disciple who would lead from his own position of weakness and God's position of strength rather than his own power. God needed a man who would be stronger by being broken. Stronger by being broken. Man, this is what our guest speaker came to give us today. This is really, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this that much. That's what... God needs men and women who are stronger by being broken. Now, nobody's signing up for brokenness today. We're not going to pass a list around. Who would like to join us as we uh, explore how broken we can be? But the fact is, that's who God needs. God needs those who have been tested in the fire. God needs those who have walked through something. And while Peter had three years to train at the feet of Jesus... The process of sifting needed to happen to produce the man that God needed to accomplish his bigger purposes. In Psalm 120, verse 3, and this is not part of my slides, team, but it says, and this is the amplified version, by the way, it says, You sift and search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. God knows, church. God knows what makes us tick. He knows how to get to us. He knows how to get at us. And He knows what uh, trial can come in and make us stronger. Sifting does not equal a season of simply surviving trouble. Even pagans do that. Pagan people, uh, they, they're, they're tried and find trouble in their life and they get through it. They find solutions. They go to a, a, a counselor or they go to somebody else. They get through their problems and they can look back on their past and say, I made it through some troubles. They can say that they have come through some difficult things. But for the Christian, it doesn't equal just surviving the trouble. Sifting equals an increase surrender to Jesus. <clears throat> The outcomes are so much greater for those of us who trust God. <laughs> the outcome for the Christian who is tried in the fire is so much better than anything that the world has to offer. I know this because I've shared with people who are not following the Lord in the process of trying to evangelize and give them Christ, find out that we have many of the same circumstances. We've been through many of the same things. The world, the church, we're still in this earth. We're still experiencing the same climate. We're still experiencing some of the same... Uh, we're under the same government. We experience the same things, but our outcomes are so much better. Biblical sifting accelerates us becoming more like Jesus. 
And that is what we want, church, to be more like Jesus. And I pray that's your encouragement today. I pray that's the hope that you find in the midst of suffering. There, somebody's bringing water. He's like, you need, the, you need, you need this. Our outcomes are so much better. So what is sifting? Jesus promised something. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Man, this guest speaker. In this world, you will have trouble. What a, what a verse to bring today. In this world, you will have trouble. Welcome to your new walk in Christ. That's, that's not the pamphlet we give out at the altar, is it? Congratulations. In this world, what's the sign that we put out at so many churches? Congratulations, you just entered the mission field. But what if we took that one down and said, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> that wouldn't be as encouraging, would it? But guess what? Those troubles and those pains and those moments of time where we find ourselves being uh, uh, sifted are the places where our character in Christ is refined so that we can be used by Him. Let me give you a definition we're being sifted. It's accelerated spiritual growth in times of trouble. I'm telling you, it's more about outcomes than it is about the trouble itself. It's increased trust in God and surrender to His sovereign will. It's refined and cultivated seeds for increased fruitfulness. And it's the seemingly painful process through which every child of God faces trials that result in being broken and refined strengthened and restored, grown and empowered for God's glory and for His kingdom's sake. That's sifting an outcome from the trials and the pressures of this world. Here's what Matthew says. <clears throat> and this is John the Baptist who said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And that's usually where we stop. But look at the next part. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do you know... And, and I grew up on a farm. And all the sermons I preached before I was uh, left River of Life had something to do with being on a farm. <clears throat> it was kind of my thing. It's all I knew, really. <laughs> uh, you really can't use wheat that hasn't been threshed. The good will continue to be mingled in with the bad. The chaff will, will, will take up too much space. It has to be threshed. It has to be thrown up into the air. And a separation has to happen where the good falls down and the chaff is blown out, blown away and gathered up and placed into the fire. And, and it's hard to go through that process, especially if you're wheat. But for the Christian, it is particularly hard because we never sign up for those things that intentionally thresh us and sift us in that way. But trust me, God thinks about that. He thinks about how we need to be sifted. He thinks about how the threshing needs to take place in our lives. Jesus promises in this world, you will have trouble. So trouble and trials are not to be avoided but rather embraced, increased 
surrender pleases God. And sifting yields increased surrender. A powerful principle for us today. The, re- the refinement of sifting makes the grain usable. It makes us usable. It makes us ready for the things that God wants us to do. So, how about, do we still have Winn-Dixie in Wakala County? Do we have Publix? That's okay. Um, just thought I would point that out. Uh, uh, so you go to Winn-Dixie and you're in the checkout line and what do you hear? Boop, boop, boop. They're checking out and it, it, there's something about that sound that just numbs your brain. And as you sit there with your numb brain and you're counting your items because, you know, do I qualify to go through the speedy checkout? No. I've, oh, and then Winn-Dixie, if it's still like it used to be, they're making everybody check out their own groceries anyway. So you're aggravated about that. They cost too much. You've got to have a special card to go to Winn-Dixie. You have to join the club and all that stuff. So you're aggravated about that. You've got to join the club. You've got to, oh, my goodness. You know, I got, it's too hot. I'm gonna, I got ice cream. What am I going to do with ice cream? It's, so you've got all these things on your mind. They know that. They intentionally aggravate as many people as possible <laughs> because they want you to buy those goofy magazines that are in the checkout line. <laughs> do you ever look at those things and think, why would anybody buy this? It's because they've been numbed into just absolute boredom in line, and now they have to buy those goofy magazines. So if you ever buy one, you shouldn't, but if you did, you have. You already, y'all don't lie, you're in church. Um, you know that in those goofy magazines, there's uh, usually a quiz, right? <sighs> y'all are not telling the truth. <laughs> you buy those magazines. I was looking in the backs of your cars when you came in. <laughs> you open up the magazines, the quiz, how, you know, 10 ways to know that he loves you or he doesn't love you or it's time to move on because he doesn't love you or whatever. So you buy this magazine. Those are terrible, godless things. We should not do that. But the principle is that people love taking those quizzes. I don't know why. It's because we've been listening to that thing go boop, boop, boop so much that we want to take the quiz. So I've got a quiz for you. A quiz for you. Here's number one. At the end of the coming year, when you look back on your accomplishments and what God has done through you, would you prefer to brag about, number one, Becoming more like Jesus, or number two, doing more for Jesus. So that's your choices. Number one, I want to be more like Jesus, or number two, I want to do more for Jesus. Second question, does Jesus care more about you becoming more like him or doing more for him? Does Jesus care more about you becoming more like him or doing more things for him? Here's a hint. Doing more for Jesus does not guarantee that we will become more like him. Number three. Consider the books, the blogs, the articles that you've read, the sermons that you've listened to, and the prayers that you've prayed in the last year. When you look at the content that you're drawn to and the bias of your time, how you like to spend your time, Do you tend to focus on resources that help you become more like Jesus or resources that help you do more for Jesus or even do it more effectively? Many Christians have a natural affinity to focus on resources that help us do more things 
more effectively. It's very similar to the world, isn't it? I guess you know where I'm going with my little quiz. All of us need to answer a question very honestly. What is it that we are pursuing in Christ? Do we want to do more things for Him? Or do we want to become more like Him? I think we know the answer, but you'd be surprised. Not everybody in this room may agree with that. Because that's how we behave. The fact is, you go to the Christian bookstore, there are way more books on how to do more things for Jesus than there are to be like Jesus. Leadership materials for church leaders and pastors are, are many times focused on how to do more, how to be more efficient. How to, and those things are great. They're marvelous. But they're not really a driving force for us if we're healthy. Indeed, what we need to be is more like Jesus. Amen? And I, I do hope that being like Jesus allows us to do more things for Jesus. You know, I'll go back to what I do now at Teen Challenge. Many people are often confused because they call us after having dealt with a long line of secular programs. And they call and they, they ask a lot of questions that are based on secular um, methodologies. Indeed, our success rate is somewhere around 80%. It is so far out beyond the secular uh, success rate that there's really no comparison. And I don't say that just to, to brag about it, even though I'm very happy with our success rate in getting boys off of drugs and alcohol. But the, the, the thing is, the state is not going to give people Jesus as a path to restoration and healing. Nor, is it, nor do I think it's their job. I think it's our job. So when people call and they ask, well, how much counseling will my son get? And how much this will he get? And how much, are you accredited? Are you, do you, are you licensed with these people? Are you doing this, that, and the other? And I'll say, why don't we just fast forward to the outcomes? Number one, within a few weeks, your son will know Jesus and his eternal soul will be forever sealed with Christ in heaven. That's a win. And if he can keep doing drugs after his eternal soul has been sealed with Christ in heaven forever, we're going to take care of that next. But our priority is we are a discipleship-driven missions organization willing to go to the addict where he is. And if that means going out into the street and giving an addict Jesus in the midst of their stupor, we will do it. Because Jesus can take care of the rest. He can clean up what's dirty, what's broken, and what needs healing. All those other things are just questions that people ask because that's what they've been trained. That's what they've been taught. They answered a bunch of quizzes somewhere, and that's the outcome they got. That's how they feel about the circumstances. But our God gives so much more. I had a pastor friend when Cindy and I planted the church in Asheville, North Carolina, and you guys supported that. There's still fruit there. Uh, when I left, the church like tripled in size. It was amazing. Um, they're doing so good. The pastor calls. The money's good. The people's good. I'm like, you know what? Just go away. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> it's bittersweet. We broke up the rock so they could plant the seed. That's what I say. Um, they really are doing good. We're very proud of that. But there was another guy that came along, and he was planting a church at the same time, and he was a Baptist brother, and, and he was always frustrated, always so frustrated. He, he had books on books on books on how to plant a church. And, I mean, I you know, it's, that's something you really can't write a book about. I mean, it's just, it either is or it isn't. But he, he did everything perfect. Everything was perfect. And he called me one day. He was really upset. And he said, Pastor Rocky, I really thought if I had an A-plus children's ministry, an A-plus music ministry, an A-plus bulletins and brochures to hand out, an A-plus logo, an A-plus name for our church, and everything was A-plus, I just knew that God would bless that and people would come. 
And it was really hard to tell him, you know, because he kind of invited me into that conversation. Um, I said, what you need is A-plus presence of God's Holy Spirit. What you need... And I was gentle, trust me. Sometimes I sound like I'm really hard. I was gentle, but, I, but I, was, I told him in no uncertain terms, a touch from heaven is all it takes. When God gets involved, that other stuff just kind of happens. What you need is the power and the presence of Almighty God. A-plus projects and A-plus, that stuff is marvelous if you've got the presence of God's Holy Spirit. So again... A season of sifting has the inherent power to shift our bias from doing to being. When you go through struggles, when you go through the sifting, what should be coming out on the other side is a new awareness of being in Christ. Don't come out on the other side of your struggle and say, boy, i got to do these, i got to do more of this, or I've got to do more of that. A young man came in my office. He had done something about six months ago. One of our boys, <clears throat> and it's, I'm kind of the principal of this place, so I don't see a lot of the boys, but he had gotten in some pretty bad trouble, broken some of our rules, and he came in, and he was upset, and uh, we needed to, uh, to offer him uh, what we call consequences. We it's a long story. But anyway, he needed consequences. <laughs> so this guy comes in, and I knew what he had done. I knew. I knew what he had done. And he sat down on the couch in my office, and I looked at him. I said, I know what you've done. He said, I haven't done anything. I said, you have. You have. Just confess. Just say. I, I said, please confess. And, and no, I haven't done anything. I said, let me tell you something. I forgive you for what you've done, and you won't confess but I haven't done anything. I said, you have. <laughs> and now you're lying about it. But I said, you're forgiven. And I said, I'm going to tell you something else. If you don't confess for three weeks, I said, you're already forgiven. I said, there's nothing that you could do because I have completely forgiven you of what you have done. Well, I haven't done anything. I said, get out of my office. Three weeks-ish go by, and this young man talks to one of our staff members and confesses to this thing that he's done. And the staff member told him, Mr. Russell's already forgiven you for that. Go back to work. And that young man broke down in that moment and with tears streaming out of his eyes said, No one has ever loved me like this before. People think that because boys are in our program that, that there's a lot of discipline and there's a lot of uh, just hard things and, and maybe the parents weren't able to get a control on what's going on. We offer grace in a way that blows these guys' socks off that they can't escape from. And in the midst of the turmoil that's inside of them, we believe we're acting like Jesus when we come down and just forgive them to death. And I think God wants to do that with us. Over and over in my life, God said, I know what you've done. I've seen the iniquity of your heart, the blackness of your motives, the darkness that wants to come. I already know. I've already forgiven you. He just waits for us to respond. The book of James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work 
so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Pure joy. Seriously, this guest speaker has lost his mind. When you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Allow me just a moment to retell something that I think I have told from this pulpit before. When the dome first opened, and I, don't, I didn't notice when I came in, but there used to be a little sign next to the front. It says, Welcome to the Dome. It kind of has that shape. Is that sign still there? Do we still have the... Okay. Well, the, that's not the first sign. The first sign was vandalized just a few months after the dome opened. And it was springtime because we had taken the youth and we were going to go to a volleyball tournament at um, Wakulla Springs Baptist. And by tournament, I mean we're going to play some volleyball, mostly eat pizza. Um, <laughs> but we met that day here at the dome. We met with the youth, and as we came in, everybody's noticing this, this sign is broken. And we would find out that not only had the sign been broken, but people had broken into the portable buildings, vandalized the portable buildings with spray paint and whatever. And that was a problem because that had to be called into the sheriff's office, and there was stuff that had to happen to get to the bottom of all of that. And I, I think I let that get to me a little bit. And so when we're at the volleyball tournament, a senior pastor from another church in the county comes up to me, and he says, how's it going, Rocky? I said, ah, it's not so good. Man, you know what? It's a bad day. Well, why is it a bad day? Somebody vandalized the church. Somebody broke our sign, broke into the buildings, spray-painted all this stuff. And I will never forget what that pastor said. He said, man, I wish somebody would vandalize our buildings. I said, brother, I don't, I don't, I'm not tracking with you on that one. He said, your church is down there reaching people for Christ and God is moving. The presence of God is undeniable that God is doing things in that new building down there. It is undeniable that God wants to reach people. It is undeniable that people are getting saved. Your people are full of life. And I look at my church and I think if only someone would attack us that way as a demonstration that God wants to do something in this church. Jesus, what a lesson. What a lesson for us about what it means to experience a sifting. What a lesson for us of what it means that when it feels like we're under the gun and under attack, is it possible that there are people out there who look at us in a, in a sense of longing and say, if only. If only... I could experience that kind of touch. I don't have anything going on right now. That's a deeper level of thinking, church, and I pray it touches you as we go out of here today. Pure joy, troubles are better than worry. And finally, I just want to say something to you that really wasn't part of my original notes, but this message is not coming out of a vacuum of trouble in my own life. My family's had troubles. And I've walked with other families who've had troubles. And, and to the point that a few years ago when I was a senior pa uh, pastor of that church plant in Asheville, I actually talked with a counselor because in his words, I had believed a lie. 
Now, that's a fun day when the counselor says, well, you believe the lie, Pastor Rocky. That's why you have all these problems in your life. But that's what happened. The counselor came back and he said, there are things that you think you can fix and you cannot. And the difference between the things that you can fix and what you think you can fix is just good old-fashioned worry. And that's what's causing your anxiety. Church troubles are of the flesh and blood. Sifting occurs in the flesh and blood. But worry is the friction that exists between our troubles and what we can actually change. Satan wants to take us captive in our minds to worry and to fear. But we got to get ahead of that. Uh, and I encourage you to pray on the day that you feel really blessed, really encouraged, to, to almost like the military. They got, you've got to send uh, weapons ahead of the army so when they get there, they've got the munitions they need. You can't, you can't send people into battle and, well, where's the bullets? We don't have anything. You've got to send that ahead. Uh, it's, it's, sometimes it's called prevenient prayers. Go ahead and pray for those things in advance. So that God can be touching you and you'll be strong when you come on those moments. Je Jesus said in John 17, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's God's plan for us. Amen? Now I want to read to you Job's story in closing today. And the group can come and provide some music. Or, um, but I'm just going to read this to you. And then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes, and I'll finish reading it. I've never read this story publicly before. Um, but I think it very well illustrates Job's side of the story. And I, I do pray it blesses you. It all happened so fast. Report after report of catastrophe came to me in a series of events that defied belief. I was in shock for days, trying to accept the magnitude of my world crashing in around me. I buried my wife and my children on a beautiful spring day as creation held its breath in response to my grief. Sprinkling flowers on the earth where they lay, I offered an angry prayer to heaven. Asking God to keep them. Asking Him to take me too. My fortune was gone. My family was gone. And finally, even my health and physically bo physical body were gone. I sat in sackcloth and ashes, broken and beyond comfort. And like everyone who has ever suffered, I asked why. What did this mean? It didn't make any sense and I needed it to. In the night of great distress, these questions aren't interesting exercises in logic and philosophy. They are all we have left, and their weight and import magnifies beyond imagining. My friends and I wrestled with those questions. We framed them and tried to bend them to our will, making sense of this wor world around us. The disconnect between what I know in my heart to be true and my undeniable experience of the world around me is like a splintering of the mind. It hurts. It doesn't work. The failure to master these things leads to despair, and I was all the way there. My counselors argued that I had sinned, though I knew I had not. They spoke eloquently and fashioned beautiful constructs of logic. I must have done something to deserve it. God is not capricious in allowing bad things to happen. These counselors were masterful. They were passionate. 
They were wrong. The answer came, fittingly enough, not from answers, but from questions. Questions from God himself and the terrible, intimate, inescapable weight of his presence. God asked, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? On the face of it, those things might seem harsh, as if God were setting me down hard and humbling me, but it was different than that. It was an experience filled with the glory and love. He spoke to me in a way that I could understand, and I needed his words more than anything I have ever needed. His questions had answers. I was nowhere. You did, God. I have not. Those answers set me free in his presence and they placed me in a world where I could rejoice and trust in his power. I was not adrift. I was not beyond his reach. I was on a sea where God is my captain and able to complete what he has considered. The tempest of his storm wasn't for my destruction, but for my shaping. The pain of the moment is here, but then it's gone giving way to the next moment of experience or sense. The only thing that remains is our response to it, our dread of the coming moment, our fear and horror of the present tragedy, our poignant memory of the slice of time. That is what becomes part of our soul. As individuals, only our internal framing of meaning is eternal. Only our response to the world is forever. Now, would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And I'm going to continue reading this paraphrase of Job. Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.